Turn, if you would, to the fifth chapter of the book of Matthew. We are continuing to work our way through the Sermon on the Mount. I told somebody when I came in this morning that tomorrow is our anniversary also. We will have been married 35 years, which in this class is considered newlyweds. (laughs) So... (laughs) Seeing the crowds, verse 1, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. We've been working our way through the Beatitudes, the blessed are. You are blessed when you have certain characteristics. These are characteristics that God has ascribed as being important, contrary to what the world would say would bring you blessing. The world would say you'd be happy if you have wealth, if you have power, if you have influence. God says, blessed are those who are poor in spirit. Because once we acknowledge that we cannot do anything on our own, the gates of heaven are open and we, are in, we can enter into the kingdom of heaven. Last week we spent our time talking about what? Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Purity of heart. We have a long discussion about what the heart is. The center of our being, our mind, will, our emotions. And when we have purity of heart, it is the fact that our heart is focused on God And God alone. As we talked about Jesus, Jesus says, My will is to do the will of him who sent me. And that is the goal that each of us should have. To have purity of heart. As Kierkegaard said, purity of heart is to will one thing. And that would be the will of God. So today we take the next, the next of the Beatitudes. And this one's a piece of cake. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called children of God. Now, how much peace is there in the world right now? You can go to Wikipedia, the source of all knowledge, (laughs) and there's actually a site entitled List of Ongoing Armed Conflicts, where it names all the wars that are going on. I will tell you there's several pages of them. In the first category of those that are only killing, what, more than 10,000 people a year, there's four of them. I could have named three of them. I probably wouldn't have called the Mexican drug war a war, but after you think about it, it is. It is consuming a lot of lives. The next category is the 1,000 to 10,000 deaths per year, and there's only 11 of those, some of which I've never heard of. And then the next category is the 100 to 1,000, and there's 28 of those. And they're in countries that I haven't even heard of before. If you were to look at the world around us today and say, is it a peaceful world? You'd have to say, no, it's not. If Jesus Christ is, in fact, the Prince of Peace, if Jesus Christ did, in fact, come to bring peace to the world... Something's wrong. But you know, the peace of nations and different groups within nations is not the source of the problem. We can't even have peace with those around us. We produce conflict on a daily basis with those that we come in contact with that should be our friends. But we still annoy each other. We still get on each other. 
I've told you before, uh, my wife and I do marriage mentoring. We, our church has a mentoring program where couples who are going to be married in the church have to go through a six-week program. And this week, we went through the rules of fighting fair in a marriage. Because we know what? There's going to be conflict in marriage. And we might actually talk about some of those rules before this hour is over. Blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are the peacemakers. When you hear the word peacemaker, what is the first thing you think of? Come on. Huh? There's a conflict. You, can't, you wouldn't be worrying about peace if there wasn't a conflict that needed peace. How many of you think about a bomber? Come on. You are. <laughs> the B-36 bomber, right, was called the peacemaker. Why in the world would you call a bomber a peacemaker? The Colt single action revolver was known as what? The peacemaker. Why would you call a revolver a peacemaker? Because it keeps people from bothering you. (laughs) That's the idea. You name a bomber the peacemaker because you think that by doing so, you will keep other countries from bothering you. We are actually not going to talk today about world peace. It's a great thing. Oh, yes, ma'am. Middle children are peacemakers. That's what you think about, not bombers and revolvers, right? <sighs> yes. You were a middle child and you weren't a peacemaker. She just contradicted you. I was a middle child, and I may have been a peacemaker. I don't know. I'm sure I got over it. (sighs) Jesus Christ was called the Prince of Peace. He came to the world to bring peace. Now, in about 35 minutes, I'm going to read a verse that contradicts that. Okay? But that's in 35 minutes. Right now, we're going to acknowledge the fact that Jesus is called the Prince of Peace. You go back to the Old Testament, and repeatedly, the goal of going to the land, the goal of being in God's will, is to receive peace. You read the Psalms, you read the Proverbs, and the Proverbs talk about, talks about what it takes to have peace, what it takes to cause conflict. Peace is the goal that the scripture is aiming toward. And if peace is the goal, what does it look like? Well, the first thing we have to acknowledge is that we as unbelievers are at war with God. We have this idea sometimes that, you know, God's over there, and I, the good old-fashioned pagan, are over there, and if he leaves me alone, I'll leave him alone, and we'll just live happily ever after. But if God is the creator of the universe, if God did tell us how we ought to live our lives, when we do otherwise, we are not living in a morally neutral universe. We are at war with God. It is like looking at the king when kings actually had power, which the queen doesn't have that much now, My daughter asked me, how much power does the Queen of England have? I said, she has all kinds of power, as long as she never tries to use it. Think about that for a while, but that's the way it is. But if we think of the time when kings actually had power, for the king to tell me to do something and I say no, isn't a morally neutral answer. It is an act of rebellion. And we as the created beings are living a life of rebellion against God, and we are at war with God. And Christ says, I am the Prince of Peace. I'm going to deal with this relationship. So as we look at peace, we need to talk about peace between us and God. We need to talk about peace between us and those around us. 
We need to talk about peace between us and those that are not necessarily right around us, but are at a distance from us. And we need to talk about peace between other people and how we can help or hinder that activity. I'll ask the same question I've asked every week, and I'll get the exact same answer that I get every week. What prevents us from being peacemakers? Go ahead. You said it every week. Pride. (laughs) As we look at each of these beatitudes, as we've gone through them, we understand the fact that our pride says we're going to do things our way, and God says this is the way you ought to do it. But as we look at peacemaking we begin to look at all of the Beatitudes and understand their importance to maintaining peace in this world. Now, before we get too much further along, though, what is peace? Okay? I'm not swinging a baseball bat at you, so I guess that's peace. To some, peace is the absence of outward conflict and that's good okay i shouldn't be swinging a baseball bat at at any of you we shouldn't be shooting at some other country but at biblical peace is more than that it's not just that i don't i'm not killing you right now it's that i don't have any desire in my heart to kill you as we saw last week blessed are the pure in heart All of these boil down to a heart issue. When I am at peace with someone, I have no desire for conflict. It's not just the absence of conflict. It's not that I'm doing a really good job of holding it in, but I really want to kill you. Peace means that we have harmony with those around us. Hmm. Maybe we should talk about marriage later. (laughs) Blessed are the peacemakers. Step number one, peace between us and God. It all starts right there. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those that mourn over their sin. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness. Blessed are the merciful. Blessed are the pure in heart. Each of these is a demonstration that we have peace with God. The reality is we cannot do any of these apart from a right relationship with God. We just can't. I mean, we can pick some random one. Blessed are the pure in heart. What is it that causes conflict in this world? Turn to James chapter 4. The Bible is going to tell us what causes conflict in this world. James chapter 4, verse 1. What causes quarrels? Children. Wait, that's not what it says. (laughs) What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this that your passions are at war within you. You desire and you do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Verse number one, why do we have conflicts? Because we have desires and passions within us that are at war with themselves. We talked about all of this last week. Blessed are the pure in heart means that our motive is to glorify God. Our motive is to do the will of the Father. When our motive isn't that, when our heart says, okay, I want some of this and some of that. Remember our discussion last week? The world wants us to do these kinds of things or tells us we ought to want to do these. The scripture says we ought to do these kinds of things and we spend our lives trying to find the intersection of these two sets and there is no intersection between those two. But that's what we try to do. I stand here firmly on the fence 
trying to be a good believer and trying to get the things of this world. And those passions are at war within me. Romans chapter 7. The things I want to do, I don't do. The things I don't want to do, I keep doing. Wretched man that I am. I have conflict because I take those desires and I move them out into the real world. I come in contact with you tomorrow. And I've got my desires, and I've got my other desires, and I've got my other desires, and you have your desires and your other desires, and for some reason you won't do what I want you to do, and I get mad at you. And conflict ensues. Why do we not do the things that God clearly tells us to do? Because we have desires to do something else. We lack purity of heart. Out of a purity of heart comes the ability to make peace. That's why we have to have it. There is a sequence to these beatitudes. So, we begin with peace with God. That's where we start the peacemaking process. When I acknowledge that God is the sovereign... That means he has the right to tell me what to do. When God has the goodness to tell me what it is that I need to do to live a good life, remember, he's doing this because it's good for us. But we don't believe that. Why do we not believe that? Because we have our desires. You can make your list. I have my list, but I'm not going to tell you what they are because it would get me in trouble with somebody We have our desires, we have our will, and God says, here's my will. When we acknowledge the fact that we can't do his will, we do not have the ability to do his will. The gates of heaven are open. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for they shall enter the kingdom of heaven. That's where we start. That's where we start. Peace begins with our relationship with God. Is it possible to have true peace in this world without a relationship with God? Well, we can probably get to the point where for a certain period of time, you're not swinging a baseball bat at people. But that's about all we're going to do. Human history has shown that violence and conflict is kind of the natural state. Why? Well, obviously we need more education and we won't do that. Obviously, if we have the right social structure, we won't do that. And I'm all for education. I'm all for good social structures. But without a change of the heart, all those desires are going to rise up and I'm going to want what's yours and you're going to want what's mine and we're going to go to war with each other over it. I have spent my, since high school, life reading military history. I enjoy reading military history. I read about battles. I read about generals. I read about weapons. It's just lots of fun. But you know what? It really isn't a lot of fun. I told somebody a while back, you know, you start watching shows and reading books about Marines fighting in the Pacific in World War II. And the whole image changes when your son is a Marine. Okay? Just an observation. War, conflict, all of that kind of draws us in. Why? Because we're more interested in the things of this world than we are in the Prince of Peace. So, observation number one. We start with a right relationship with God. Observation two. If a right relationship with God is what is necessary to bring peace into this world, sharing the gospel should be our number one priority. Why do I share the gospel with people? Why do I do that? Because I'm arrogant and think that I'm the only one that knows what the right way to go is? Probably not. Is it because I just want to annoy people? Is it just because I want to tell people they're going to hell? No, not at all. 
If I acknowledge the fact that being a peacemaker begins with my relationship with God, I go to the next step, which is your relationship with God is what is necessary for you to have peace. And we share the gospel with people because we want them to be at peace with God. But we don't do that. Why do we not do that? Because our world has convinced us that sharing the gospel is a belligerent activity in and of itself. I'm condemning you if I share the gospel with you. But we're not condemning people. We're telling them how to have peace with God. Now, blessed are the pure in heart. Some of us do enjoy condemning people. Not you. I won't point it to you. It's those people over there that do that. It is interesting to me. No, it's kind of sad. We, as our sermon series, has been covering the uh, 500th anniversary of the Reformation that will be occurring uh, at the end of the month. We've been working through these different reformers and their impact and their thoughts, their beliefs that brought the Reformation into existence. But the sad reality is it brought a lot of, ready for it, conflict. For hundreds of years, we had Protestants fighting Catholics because if I don't kill you, well, I'm not a very good Christian. Why does that make sense? Because we have desires that are at war with each other. I'm a good pastor, let's say. I want to have peace. But my buddy, the governor, wants to have control. And he's going to use my religion to start his war, to beat his people. I mean, it got really mixed up. You know, we're Catholic France was supporting the Protestants because they didn't want Catholic Germany coming to too much power. I mean, it just got bizarre. Conflict, war, difficulties, seems to be the natural condition of humanity. Why? Because of our desires. So when we share the gospel, we are trying to imitate Christ by being peacemakers in the world. Now, I told you that in uh, 20 minutes, we're going to read a verse that contradicts that. But don't get ahead of us. We have conflict, I mean, we have peace between us and God. We have peace between others and God. Which brings us to the next step, which is probably what this is really talking about, which is peace between each other. In any given day, I interact with a bunch of people. Okay? I interact with people in my house. I interact with people on the road. I interact with people at work. I interact with people at the store that I go to on the way home. I interact with lots of different people. Every one of those interactions has the potential of conflict. Why? Because we all have our desires, we are all at war with each other, and we don't... I hate to say this. Why do we not have peace? Because we don't want it. Why do we not want it? Because we want what we want. I want to get what I can get out of this relationship. Back to marriage mentoring. I told you we were going to get back to that. Ooh, we'll get there in just a moment. She said that peace requires humility. Blessed are the meek. Hmm, bad word. What causes, okay... Let's see, how many of y'all are there? We probably have, I don't know, 10,000 years of marriage in here. How many... <laughs> As my boss says, don't ever do math in public. 
We have 10,000 years of marriage in here. What causes conflict in marriage? Let's just deal with that just for a moment. Huh? Wanting your own way. Religion? <laughs> Maybe I ought not go that road. Pardon? Money. Who has it? Who earns it? Who spends it? Communication. Children. I can go with that one. I've got a lot more of that than I have of money. They say there's three things that cause conflict in marriage. You've covered two of them, money, communication, and sex. It is interesting because some contemporary commentaries are saying that there's a fourth one, and it's chores, because as more women are working in the workplace, they don't assume that the woman is going to do all the chores, therefore they have conflict about who does what chore. Why, in a good Christian marriage, would we have conflict? You would think we'd be able to take care of that. But we don't. Why? Because we all have desires that are at war with each other. Communication. I don't want to tell you things that are you might use against me. I don't want to tell you things that might be painful for me, so I hold back. Or I use communication as a weapon against you to get my way. I use communication as a tool to enforce my desires. So, what does it take to have a conflict-free marriage? That'll quieten them down real quick. (laughs) Caring about the other more than yourself. It's a joke. There is no such thing as a conflict-free marriage. But, but, you, as a believer, are called to be a peacemaker within the wedding. I mean, within the marriage. Well, the wedding, too, but within the marriage. What does that mean? I'm going to take my desires and I'm going to set them aside. What did Jesus do? He did the will of the Father. He took his desires and he set them aside. How do we know that? Because he didn't want to die on a cross. I mean, wait a minute. Isn't that why he came? Yes. But he said, if it's possible, Lord, find plan B. But... But, but, I'm going to do what you want me to do. In marriage, as we tell our young couples, I'm sitting here with my ego. My ego wants to win every discussion. My ego wants to win every conflict. My ego wants to make sure that the world knows that I won. So I sit here and I go to war over everything. I need to take that ego and I need to set it aside. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Who are the meek? The gentle and the humble. Who are the examples that we have in Scripture? Moses in the Old Testament, Jesus Christ in the New Testament. Huh. I, in the marriage need to be meek. But wait a minute. If I do that, I'm not going to get my way. You're right. When did we decide that all of life was about getting your way? Hmm? (laughs) At birth. Do not think that you can be a peacemaker if you're not going to follow the rest of the Beatitudes. It's just not going to happen. Because as long as I think that I accomplished it, 
that I'm going to beat on you because you didn't accomplish it. As long as I refuse to acknowledge my sin and mourn over them, my sin is going to be a weapon that I'm going to use to beat you over the head. As long as I'm hungering and thirsting after something else other than righteousness, I'm going to come in conflict with you every time we meet. As long as I am prideful and rough as opposed to gentle and humble, I am going to damage every relationship I come in conflict with. As long as my heart my heart desires a variety of things, you and I are going to be in conflict. And notice I skipped one. As long as I do not give mercy to you, I'm not acknowledging the fact that my entire life is what it is because of the mercy that God has bestowed upon me. There's a fascinating proverb that talks about overlooking an offense. Somebody's done something to me, and I, well, I pretend it didn't happen. Well, that's a pretty stupid thing to do. If I pretend it didn't happen, they might do it to me again. They might do it worse. They're offending me. They're upsetting my position as the center of the universe. I've got to deal with everything. In our list of rules for fighting fair that we use in our marriage mentoring, there's one that has a title that I've never understood. Well, I understand the historical context of it. It's just not the title I would have used for a rule about conflict resolution. The title is, Don't Drop the Bomb on Luxembourg. That's the title of it. I don't know who made up this list. You know, Belgium and Holland and all those little countries there had the bad problem that they were between Germany and France. They were just little. They were nothing. And they got squished. Why? Because they were between Germany and France. When you get into a marriage, if you take every little problem and you bring out the nuclear weapons, there are some problems that need to be overlooked. Why would you do that? Out of love. Now, when I say that it needs to be overlooked, remember what I'm thinking, though. I mean, this isn't, I'm not going to bring it up right now, but it's going on the list. <laughs> you would never do that, right? Because one of the other rules about dealing with conflict that we use in the mentoring program is if I'm fighting over this issue, I need to keep the fight over this issue. Because you know what? I've got a list of other things that you did wrong, and you've got a list of other things that I did wrong, and as soon as you bring up one of them, here comes the list. But you know what? You have not really overlooked the offense if all you've done is put it on the list. Don't have the list. Why do we have the list? It gives us a feeling of comfort for knowing that we're better than they are. It gives us weapons in case I need it later. Put aside the weapons. You're not going to use them if, in fact, you really want to be a peacemaker. What is the number one thing that keeps us from being peacemakers? We don't want to do it. We really don't. We want to make sure that people know we're right and you're wrong. And guess what? God doesn't care. Well, that's not exactly true. He just knows the right answer. He knows who's at fault. And the question is, who do we care, knows. Is it important that my children know that I'm stronger than their mother and I can stand up? No. God will know. God will know what the true solution is. We are not peacemakers 
because we enjoy the conflict. We want the conflict. We want the battle. And God says, blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are those who remove conflict from a situation. Blessed are those who continually work for right relationships between us and God, others and God, and ourselves with others. And sometimes the hardest one is conflict between others and others. And we step in the middle. What happens when you step in the middle? You get shot at by both sides. (laughs) To me, it's fascinating talking with people about other people's conflicts. Okay? Some people just love it when other people are fighting. Why do they do that? Gives them a feeling of superiority. And in fact, some people just kind of egg it on. Did you hear what they said about you? Are you going to let them get away with that? Gosh, I wouldn't put up with that. Why? Because other people in conflict makes us look better. And we want to look better, right? No. Do we really desire peace in this world? Well, yeah, I would rather the Syrians not be fighting anybody, much less themselves. I don't want them fighting the Kurds. I don't want them fighting the... I I want peace, okay? But when I have a conflict with a coworker, I want to win. And guess what? It's the same heart that causes both conflicts just on a bigger scale. So, how do we promote peace with those around us? How do we do that? First off, we have to desire it. I mean, it's simple, right? I'm not going to work for something that I don't think is important. We need to desire peace in every situation. Now, I might add that there is a false peace that we can put together by just, well, always giving in, uh, by whitewashing over things, by pretending there is no conflict. You know, it's the mother whose children are fighting, but, you know, if I don't see it, it didn't happen. That's a false peace. It isn't bringing end to the conflict, it's simply saying, I don't see it, so I don't care. And I have to confess, there were times when raising all my kids, I didn't care what they were doing as long as they did it quietly (laughs) and didn't bother me. But that's not true peace. It isn't. I was sitting at a store last week waiting for my wife, who was inside the store, and I was in the car, And there was a book there of hers, and I started opening it up about having conversations. So I look in the index under Peacemaker, and it had a very negative reference to being a peacemaker because of the idea that one way of getting peace is just to pretend that, you know, just wash over everything. And that's not a valid answer. How do we work at being peacemakers? First, we have to desire peace. Secondly, we need to have peace ourselves. Back to the relationship with God. Back to the purity of heart. If I've got my motives and I go into a situation to be a peacemaker, quickly people are going to see that I'm just promoting my motives and now I'm just the third party in a two-party fight. Okay? That's not going to work. But when I've dealt with my issues, I enter the peacemaking world and try try to bring an end to the conflict. You need to get to the heart of the matter. What is really causing this conflict? Let's not talk about wars right now. Let's talk about couples in marriage. Let's talk about people with their children. Let's talk about friends. Let's talk about normal, everyday interactions that you and I have. We need to figure out what the real battle is. You know, sometimes there's this flare-up of a conflict, but we all know that's not the real battle. That's not the heart issue. 
Something else is under there. And we need to try to help them to figure that out. We need to do what it takes to help them understand that they too should desire peace. Now, I'd better get to that other verse, right? Turn to Matthew chapter 10. Verse 34. Here's the one I told you was going to contradict everything I've said. I hate it when that happens. This is Jesus speaking, speaking to his 12 disciples as he sends them out. We will deal with this when we get to this passage in Matthew sometime next year. Verse 34. Do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father and a daughter against her mother and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law and a person's enemies will be those of his own household. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Do not think that I've come to bring peace. Wait a minute. All the Old Testament talks about the Prince of Peace who is coming. The angels speak to the shepherds, the Prince of Peace. Jesus says, I am the Prince of Peace. And he turns to his disciples and he says, it's not going to work. Why is that? Jesus is telling people they're sinners and they need to be right with God. And some people are going to say, yes, thank you, I needed that. I've been waiting my whole life for somebody to explain to me how I can be right with God. Good answer. And some are going to say, who the heck are you for messing with my life? And what Jesus is telling his disciples is that there's going to be a division. We'll see this at the end of the Sermon on the Mount. We see it throughout the scriptures. Sheep, goats, those who follow, those who don't. There is going to be a division. And here, you ready for this? Here's the bottom line. Jesus came to bring peace. He came to bring peace between us and God by dying on our behalf and paying the penalty for our sins. We can be reconciled. We can be at peace with God because of what Jesus did. He came to bring peace between us and us, between you and your spouse, between you and your friends. He came to bring peace. But he acknowledges the fact that sin is alive and well, and sin is going to fight him every step of the way. Hmm, no. What did the passage in James said? If you love the world and its way of doing things, you are at war with God. So what Jesus is telling us is, I am here to make peace. And what he's telling you is, you are here to make peace. But what he's also telling you is don't be shocked if it doesn't work. I'm going to walk into that conflict. I have a couple that I'm dealing with, and they are at war with each other, and I'm going to step in the middle of it, and pretty soon I realize all I am is the common enemy, which may be good. I don't know. Why do we share the gospel with people if we know they're going to reject it, or we suspect they're going to reject it. We share the gospel because God told us to share the gospel, and the salvation is his problem. Why do we work for peace when we know sometimes it's not going to work? Because God told us to. And when we're dealing with conflicts with those around us, we are called to be the peacemaker. Turn to Romans chapter 12. We covered this when we worked through the book of Romans. 
Here is the bottom line of all of this. Romans 12, verse 18. If possible, if possible, so far as it depends on you, live peacefully with all. If possible, what is that implying? Sometimes it's not going to be possible. As much as it depends on you, you're not adding to the conflict. You're not pouring gasoline on the fire. You're not adding oxygen to cause things to burn faster. You're not adding dissension to the problem. You're not poking people. You are trying to live at peace with everyone. But it says, if possible. How do we know when we've done everything possible? We probably don't. We're actually going to have an interesting discussion later in the Sermon on the Mount where it talks about casting pearls before swine. Okay? There comes a time in a relationship when all you're doing is adding fuel to the fire and you need to back off. But where is that? It's probably about three steps further than you want to go. Just an observation. Just an observation. If it is possible... Live at peace with everyone. Which brings us back to Matthew. In one sense, we've, inter- we've finished the Beatitudes because we finished the ones dealing with things that we're supposed to do. But there's one more or two more, depending on how you count, and we'll do those next week. And what do they say? Blessed are you when people are against you. Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. I'm being meek. I'm hungering and thirst after righteousness. I'm trying to be merciful. I'm working at being pure in heart. I'm trying to be a peacemaker. And they're mad at me? Yes. 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 Jesus says, if they hated me, they're going to hate you. So the bottom line is this. Are you willing to work for peace in every relationship even though you know sometimes it's not going to work? Are you willing to do it because God tells you to do it? I am going to work at peace with those in my immediate circle. And and trust me, that's hard enough right there. Okay? I mean, I'm upset with children. I'm upset with... Well, I'd never tell you I was upset with my wife. But it'd be lying if I told you I wasn't, so I won't even bring it up. I'm upset with coworkers. I, I mean, I'm just... And you're probably the same way. Let's work at being peacemakers to those around us. Blessed are the peacemakers for what? For they shall be called the sons of God. Notice that it doesn't say they will be the sons of God. We took care of that in the first beatitude. Blessed are those who acknowledge the fact they can't do it. They're poor in spirit. For theirs the kingdom of doors open up. You're in the kingdom. But when we work at being peacemakers, there are going to be those who reject us, there are going to be those who accept us, and there are going to be those who look at us and go, you know what? You're acting just like, hmm, what was that guy's name? Jesus. We will be called sons of God because we acknowledge the fact that God sent Christ to restore peace on earth. That's in all those songs we sing at Christmas, right? This Christmas, we probably ought to think about them a little more and acknowledge the fact that he really wants us to do that. Which brings us to next week's lesson, which we'll talk about next week. (laughs) Because you and I would love to think that if we did everything that God told us to do, that the world would just pat us on the back and love us. The reality is, as we do the things that God wants us to do, conflict's going to come. But when it comes, 
It needs to not be our fault. People need to reject us, not because we're poking them in the eye. And trust me, we love poking people in the eye. They need to reject us because they're rejecting the gospel. And that's hard. And that's next week's lesson. (sighs) What do we leave with? Blessed are the peacemakers. This week, this week, work at making peace with those around you. Every conversation you have, just tone it back. When you're talking politics, I shouldn't bring this one up, right? When you're talking politics, don't use these words, use these words down here. You know? When you're talking about marriage, when you're talking about other people, tone all the words down. Talk about the good that other people do. Resolve the conflicts and pray that you would be pure in heart. We'll have another lesson about this later. You remember the story, right? Why is it that you, with the two-by-four in your own eye, worry about the speck in your brother's eye? Take care of the two-by-four. And then you're ready to be the peacemaker. Mm -hmm. We could have five more lessons on this, but we're not going to do it. And we're not going to talk about politics, although we might do that in two weeks. Mm. When we talk about being the salt in light of the world. Let's close in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you that Christ came to bring peace. I pray, Lord, that we, like Christ, would strive to share the gospel and to reconcile others with you. And I pray, Lord, that we, in our everyday interactions, would work, would strive for peace and not to win every battle. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.